If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 7 this morning. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 29. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got some ushers with Bibles. You can borrow one this morning. Thanks for being here, worshiping with us in person, those joining us online, those in kindred and our tradition service. We're in this series, Insatiable. Today we're gonna talk about wisdom and folly. And, and if you read through this passage, there's, there's a lot there, but we're not, we're not gonna hit on all of it. We're gonna, we're gonna uh, hit on just a few of the things in this passage. In the book of Ecclesiastes, just as a reminder, Solomon has set out to use his own wisdom to look at life. And unfortunately, he uses uh, his wisdom apart from God. So he, in a sense, is looking through his own lens at life, trying to, trying to figure it out. He, ex- he experiments with a number of things, and his experiments, nonetheless, have been helpful to us as we've looked at those and explored those, reminding us that apart from God, there is nothing in this, in this life that satisfies. He's helped us to see that. Solomon is addressing this question in chapter 7. When the rubber meets the road in life, or when life gets messy, does the thing in which you put your hope in or turn to and trust, does it hold water? Does it make sense? Does it deliver? Uh, The one thing that looks so good, the thing that, that promises us to deliver, hopefully what we know is this, And what we're learning is that things don't deliver, status doesn't deliver, money doesn't deliver, sex doesn't deliver. But here's our hope always. The gospel restores us back to life by God's design. You agree with that? God designed life to be lived in fellowship with him and sin destroyed it and the gospel restores it. And we're going to look at all three pieces there. So first of all, if you're following along in an outline or on you version, if you've scanned the code and you're joining us in the Bible app, God designed life to be lived in fellowship with him. And we're going to look at the first 13 verses. There is so much gold here in this chapter. For the sake of time, I need to sift through it and just focus on a few things as we pull a few things out But there's three principles under the first point in these first several verses. And the first principle is this, sorrow is better than laughter. And they're gonna seem backwards, they're gonna seem confusing. Sorrow is better than laughter. First four verses. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Kind of what Solomon is saying is, is this. If you can attend one social event this week, Go to a funeral and not a birthday party. Uh, That that sounds uh, incredibly depressing at first, but, but Solomon is just being realistic. There is nothing that invites us to think about life more than a funeral. At a funeral, people are, are tuned into life, even if it's just for a few moments. And, and, and funerals are a reminder of our short lives here on this earth. 
And they have a way of, of drawing us closer to each other and hopefully to, to the Lord. And we're reminded at funerals of the, of the brevity and the frailness of life. And it invites us to face God regarding our, our sin and our need for forgiveness in our eternal life. Funerals could be a wake-up call. Funerals could be a reality check of sorts. Life is not about amusing ourselves, nor is it about burying our head in the sand and pretending like nothing's happening. I've officiated, I think, I just did a quick estimate, over 100 funerals, and they all end the same. Death is final. Not one person in all my years has ever been raised from the dead. There are times when death makes sense, right? Like when a person dies of natural causes in old age. But then there are times when when death doesn't make sense, in our minds anyway, like when a young person leaves this earth prematurely, it seems like, at least from our perspective. And in both cases, we put our hope and we put our faith in God, knowing that, that the God who created us is the same God who offers hope for eternity in his presence. And wisdom says this, Don't spend so much time thinking about life that you forget about death. So what Solomon is saying here is wake up to the realities of life. The world presents itself to us like an infomercial. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It's, it's like the, the world is like a distraction saying to us, look over here. Uh, they try, it tries to get our attention and, and to get our eyes distracted. Look over here. And it's waving its hands all the while death is before us over here. And the world pleads with us to take our eyes off of reality. And just like when an infomercial convinces us of something that we need that we didn't even know that we needed, so does the world. Warren Wiersbe says it like this, laughter can be like medicine that heals the broken heart, but sorrow can be like nourishing food that strengthens the inner person. The trials of life are more profitable than, than the times of laughter in this life. We learn life lessons during and, and from the trials that we go through. They cause us to dig deeper. The valleys of life are the classrooms of life. Sometimes we even get stuck and we need help out. Last week, um, we'd gone to bed and uh, we were rudely awakened. Uh, this is another story for another day, but we needed to find bunny rabbits that were in our house somewhere. And so um, we couldn't find them because we don't have bunny rabbits. And, but, so we're awake, and then we just fall back asleep. It's about midnight. We just fall back asleep, and, the, and Lori's phone rings. And I'm like, oh, you know when your phone rings that late at night, you're like, this, this, can't, this usually isn't good, right? It's midnight, Lori's phone rings, she picks it up. And she jumps out of bed and, and I hear her say something like, are you serious? When? And she walks out of the room. And uh, um, being a good husband, I just laid there and waited for her to come back in and, and explain what was going on. And she came back in the room, she said, Andy. And I said, what? She says, do you wanna go see the Northern Lights? <laughs> and I said, is that Brianna on the other end of the phone? Yeah. We're gonna go see the Northern Lights. Do you wanna go? No. Nope. 
no, I, no, I don't have any interest going to see the Northern Lights. It's like after midnight now, and, and I had a big day the next day. She's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go meet Brianna. We're gonna go see the Northern Lights. Okay, so where are you gonna go? I don't know, we're gonna go up north somewhere. Okay, <clears throat> so they leave, and about 1.15 in the morning, I get a call. Andy, yes. You should have come to see the Northern Lights. Did you see him? No. Um, I said, where are you? She said, well, we went north, and then we went west, and then we went north, and now we're stuck. Um, I said, oh, that's wonderful. And she said, well, I called the insurance, you know, they got that, that thing you call and they can kind of help you. But the lady on the end of the phone says, I can't find anybody to come and get you guys out. It's 1.30 in the morning. She said, will you come and pull us out? <clears throat> I'm like, yep, sure, I would love to do that. And so I got up, got dressed, drove out to them. I felt like I went to Canada and hung a left. Um, and it was like in Argusville, somewhere up in there. And then they'd gone to Argusville and then they got north. Well, when I pulled up there, I see this sign that says service road. That's what they pulled off on. And they kind of slid off the road on the service road. And I was able to pull them out. It was a, it was a great time had by all. And, um, but I want to repeat the line. The valleys of life are the classrooms of life. Sometimes we even get stuck and we need help out. When things are hard in this life is usually when we find ourselves asking God the hard questions of life and we say these things, why God, why now, why me? Why, why, why? And just like in a real classroom, yeah, we can either, we can either put our head down and sleep through the lecture or we could pay attention and we could take notes to what God is up to. It doesn't always make sense. Nothing wrong with laughter, it has its place. That's what Solomon's saying. But no one ever laughed their way to wisdom. But many, on the other hand, have learned wisdom through sadness and through a broken heart. And the mountaintop of joy and laughter allow us to see all that is good. So imagine being up on a mountaintop and you can see all that is good uh, with, with laughter and the, and the good things of life. But then the valley is difficult and it takes away this grand view of life and invites us to sit at the feet of our teacher. And to that, to, and in order to be able to do that, we have to slow down because even in the valley, we find ourselves, I don't have time to sit. We just want it to be over. We just want it to be done with. We just want to move on. Instead, what we ought to be doing is slowing down instead of asking God when, we should be asking what. What are you wanting me to learn? Principle number two, Patience is better than being in a hurry. Verses five through nine, it is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of, of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. Then verse nine, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the laps of fools. Usually we're in such a rush. Things don't go well. When you're in a hurry, do things go well? No, things get broken. Projects turn out janky. People get hurt. Corners get cut. 
Is it just me or is verse nine becoming more and more of a reality in our society? So many people living on the edge. Let me read it again. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do you talk to drivers when you're out on the road? How many of you do that? Just <clears throat> I say phrases like, it's okay, little buddy. You can go. And we all say this, right? I could have driven a semi through there twice. Um, and, my, and probably one of the ones I say often is, what in the world are you doing? Are you serious? This last Wednesday, it was a snow day, um, and we had closed our offices. We had our MLT meeting uh, on Teams, and I took two pastors and one non-staff person out to shop for a snowblower for one of our pastors who moved here from Texas. I'm not gonna tell you who that is. He drives, he drives a dually four-wheel drive, so this massive truck, but he, has, um, he doesn't have uh, all-terrain tires on it. He has all season tires on it, and he's afraid he was gonna get stuck. Another one of our pastors drives a minivan, and the other one drives a Ford pickup. So enough said. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll come and pick all you guys up in, in the Jeep and we'll go find a snowblower. So we went clear across town. We went you know, clear west, ended up in Moorhead at Runnings, got a snowblower. But during our play date, I found myself talking to several other drivers, forgetting that they were in, in the car. Because it was a bad, if you're out driving around on Wednesday, it was bad, right? and cars are stuck everywhere, people are doing all kinds of crazy things. But we were, we were coming up to a stoplight and it was green for a long time. And I was starting to make my way through and I just have this habit of kind of glancing both ways. And a lady, and I, I don't say this to say, oh, lady drivers are, are bad. It was a lady, I could clearly see that this was a lady. She ran straight through a red light, had no idea that the light was red, completely oblivious. And, um, I wanted to say a few things to her, so I did, just quietly, but I thought she's not gonna hear me, so I'll just tap the horn. Just tap the horn. Well, my wrist locked up <laughs> when I hit the horn, and so um, anyway, she, she found out what was happening. And, but the encouraging thing is, is one of, one of the people in the vehicle said, this is great. I can now go home to my wife and say, honey, it's okay that I talk to other drivers. Pastor Andy talks to other drivers, so I can talk to other drivers. But here's the deal, here's the reason I tell you that story. Is our society one bad driver short of jail time? Verse nine is teaching us when we are not patient, we arrive to the destination of anger so much quicker. Anger is, is an emotion that has become so familiar to many. We think anger empowers us, like it gives us rights. It allows us to stay there, to dwell on it. But really, not to over, oversimplify it, anger is a normal emotion that acts like a warning bell that tells us that something is drastically wrong. So why do we get angry? Because anger is usually the emotion we associate with disappointment and unmet expectations in life. When our expectations are unmet, we revert to this illusion of control, like, well, 
that didn't get met the way that I thought it should or it didn't turn out the way that I thought it should. So, so I'm gonna step back in and I'm gonna be in control. Unrealistically expecting all people to behave in all situations to turn out the way that we think that they should. And when that doesn't happen, we feel the emotion of anger. Because when people and circumstances don't behave and turn out the way that we think that they ought, we experience a perceived threat to ourselves. That's what's going on. And to our loved ones and to our property and to our self-image and, and right down the list. It's the thinking that if people would just change, if they would just do what I want them to do, then I would not be threatened and I'd be okay. And when I'm okay, I'm in control of things, right? And while the emotion of anger is what gets all of the attention, boy, you're angry, or, or he or she is angry, it really is just the lid to so many other unhealthy things that lurk below the surface. It just happens to be the representative of all the other emotions and junk that's below the surface line. What lies below a manhole cover is not pleasant but all you see is the manhole cover. And the same is true of life. The lid of, of anger is a cover-up for the mess that's lurking below the surface. Anger is real. Why do you think all these, I think they're called smash rooms, are popping up all over the place? We get to go and pay money to, to smash things. It ought to be telling us something, right? Jesus talks about anger in Matthew 5. He says when he compares anger to murder. His point, when you have anger in your heart towards someone, it's the same as though you've murdered them. Proverbs 29.11 speaks to anger can make you look foolish. It says fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Proverbs 30.33 says anger causes most arguments. This is what it says. As the beating of cream yields butter and striking the nose causes bleeding, so stirring up anger causes quarrels. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person who lacks self-control is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Solomon says, the trademarks of a fool in this first section are impatience, anger, and a quick temper. It's all right here in this text. Remember, he's talking about wisdom and foolishness. Principle three, today is better than yesterday. Verse 10, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. And we think, oh, the good old days, right? You hear people saying, and maybe you've said this, I wish I could be a kid all over again. Or if I had a chance to go and go back through high school, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Or the early days of marriage, they were great. Or remember life before kids? I sure loved that job. That was my favorite place to live. Why did we ever leave? Or I remember when we could afford eggs. Right? Things change. In relationships, you might hear what brought them together is what keeps them together. In the church world, there's a phrase that's very similar to that. What, what you reach them with is what you keep them with. The way you reach them is the way that you keep them. 
Most people want the church to always be the way that it was. And one way to think about this is that the way the church was when I started attending a church, and maybe you could kind of go back in your mind here for a second, when you started attending a certain church the way that it was, that's the way that you prefer it always to be. The look, the style, the music, the people. The mind is a powerful thing, it's like a camera. And it's taking photos for for a picture album, constantly. Pictures of the way that things used to be. And if we're not careful, we can spend our life looking through the picture albums in our mind instead of what is right in front of us. That's what he's saying. A phrase all of us have used is, it was so much better when... As for the church, while many are scrambling to get things back to the way that the church was before COVID, we're being told by experts who are studying the church world and tracking new patterns saying the church will never be the way it was before COVID. But it was so good. Was it? Or did God use Notice I didn't say cause, use. Did God use COVID as a wake-up call for the church? Well, there are fewer people in churches all across America. I also wonder if some good didn't come out of a forced pause. Programming, I mean, this is us, we, we do this. Programming is more purposeful. We've had to revisit a lot of things. There's been renewed sense of this longing for connection. People are hungry for truth and not fluff. We all have seasons from our past that were so sweet. Times when it felt as though everything was clicking. Remember, but don't linger too long at the risk of missing what is right in front of you. And you can apply this every area of your life. It's that saying, It's hard to see out the windshield of all the beauty that is before us when we're staring at the rear view mirror at what is behind us. Nostalgia means a sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past. Solomon says, fools live in the world of nostalgia. The wise live in the present. Number two, sin distorted God's design. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Verse 12, wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as as well as the other one. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, Solomon, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Verse 19, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Indeed, 
There is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Man, there's just one right after another. God created life to be a certain way. And that's for us to be in this perfect fellowship with him. But sin distorted it. Verse 14 reminds us that there are times in life when things go well and times when things don't. And we're reminded here that God is sovereign over both extremes and everything in between. And we don't have the power or the knowledge to figure out any of it. Very similar to what Pastor Anthony was just saying about the book of Habakkuk. Almost identical. You have heard people say, well, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not just gonna sit here and take it. What is Solomon saying here? When you follow God, that is exactly what you do. When times are good, enjoy them. But when times are bad, that too God is aware of and uses it for our good and his glory. He's well aware. We have zero control. Unless we believe we are in control and then we still have zero control. We can ride the roller coaster of life and we can attempt to lay the track before us and we can think, oh, this is what I would like. I'm gonna go up a hill here, down a hill there, take a turn here. We think we're laying the track in our lives when in fact the design and the engineering happened long ago by the author of life. Sin has royally messed things up. It affects the way that we see life the way we see and treat people, it lures us towards selfishness and greed, it messes with our mind, it messes with our thought life, it opened the door for the unthinkable evil and wickedness, it has been described. Listen to this, I kinda went through scripture, listen to this, to the ways that sin is described because I think we need to feel the seriousness and we need to feel the weight of it. Listen to how scripture describes sin. It has been described as a weight to do wrong, to go astray, and then listen to these, to miss the mark, which means deviation. It's described as flesh, meaning humanity's earthly state. It's described as a fall, as in a building collapsing like moral failure. It's described as transgression, meaning crossing over a boundary, self-abandonment, lack of control over self, iniquity, bending over or acting perversely against God's will. It's described as rebel, intentionally violating the relationship. Abomination, repulsive. It's described as a curse, which means to bind, making it impossible to resist. I don't know if you've ever been one of these, but sin is like a house of mirrors, distorting everything from the original. We've rebelled against God's design. The world is broken. We are broken. But there's incredible news. The gospel restores us back to life by God's design. He goes on, verse 23. All this I tested by wisdom and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? There's a question, right? He's saying, who can discover this, this hope, this truth? Verse 25, so I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom 
and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I'll let you read the rest of that. Solomon ends with a question in verse 24. He doesn't have the answer. He's tried and tried through his experiments to find answers. And Solomon gives us the question. And the gospel gives us the answer. The gospel is the only thing that can give us the power and purpose to live life according to God's original design. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty. His blood is the only thing that heals brokenness. That which has been shattered by sin can only be restored by blood. Satan's pride caused it. Jesus' humility resolved it. I'm gonna read some scripture here as, as we close. It's often what we might call the gospel. If you're a believer in the room, be encouraged, be reminded, revisit whatever you need to do. If you're in this room or if you're, if you're joining us online, and I guarantee you there's somebody in this room, if not many, many people joining us online that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. These verses are straight out of the book of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The one thing that I wanna leave you with today says this, don't look to life and hope to find God. Look to God and find life. I wanna pray here and Maybe the Lord is working on your heart. Maybe you've heard something this morning that just really resonates. Maybe right now you're kind of asking the same question as Solomon and maybe you're, you're, you're wrestling with whether or not you're a believer and a follower of Christ. Maybe you're here and you've, you've thought for 30 years that you, you're a believer, but you've decided in your own way, in your own words, in your own path, what that even looks like. And scripture tells us the truth. Like we don't get to change this. I just want to pray and you can pray however the Lord leads you wherever you're at. Oh God, we um, have been reminded this morning that sin has royally messed everything up and because of Satan's pride, a fallen angel who thought he knew better, he could be more powerful his pride initiated sin and Adam and Eve believed him and they fell into sin 
And now we're all sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a payment for that sin. And we know, Lord, through your word, through the truth of your word, that that payment is eternal separation from you, a holy God. God, I pray that um, for every person in this room, no matter where they're at on that journey, on that spectrum, Lord, that you, through the Holy Spirit, would just speak to them and let them know how to pray. If they're not a believer, Lord, would you impress on them the truth of your word? And may they respond to the gospel and say, God, I have sinned. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Forgive me. And for others who just need to revisit the truth of the gospel. Lord, through the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring this renewal, this refreshing, this awakening in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus.